After two weeks of political conventions with heightened rhetoric on both sides, complemented by more race-related unrest, this time in Wisconsin, and oh, and plus a hurricane or two, I found myself physically and emotionally exhausted this week. And I heard the same from many of you. While I'm encouraged by next Sunday's move to regather in the courtyard at 9 a.m., I still watch our COVID count inch up in Faulkner County, and it makes me nervous about being able to gather for future weeks. You see, we're only a college night at JJ's bar or a Pi Kappa Alpha frat party away from shutting down again. This, it's, it's just all a bit too under, overwhelming. Like many of you have told me, I'm just tired. I mean really tired of it all. I want more than anything to go back to what I remember of our former life back then, and the sooner we get there, the better. I guess in that way, I'm kind of like Peter in today's gospel reading, wanting to jump over the difficult stuff, the pain, the worry, the discomfort, and get to the good parts. Now, when we last heard from our boy Peter last week, he declared Jesus the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus makes him the rock, the fountain, the foundation of the church. This week, the rock becomes a stumbling block. And Peter's focusing on human things, not divine ones. You see, Peter can't handle Jesus' talk of suffering and crucifixion. It's unimaginable, for Peter, it's unimaginable thinking for Peter's version of Israel's Messiah. His Messiah is going to kick out the evil Roman occupiers and restore Israel to its promised greatness. In one of the first of four times that Jesus predicts his death to the disciples, he's, Jesus sets out to re-educate Peter and the disciples on what Israel's true Messiah must undergo, what they must go through as well. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, it's important to note that Jesus' prediction doesn't end with his death. Importantly, he adds that he'll be raised up on the third day. Jesus' story doesn't end with crucifixion, but with resurrection. For him, and he promises for all who believe. Now, Peter doesn't appear to hear this bit about resurrection, though, and jumps to defend Jesus. God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. He's so shocked by the thought of his Messiah's suffering and death that, that he kind of misses the most important part. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, these are difficult words that Jesus offers us. We have to take up our cross to wade through the muck and messiness of life, to lean into the discomfort, not avoid it, even unto death. We are called to transform ourselves through the cross, to conform ourselves to what might be called a cross-shaped life, which, of course, begs the question, what is exactly a cross-shaped life like? Now, for starters, we know it's, it's an upside-down life, where the principal weapon of oppression, the cross, is turned into a marker of pride. 
It's where the apparent power of human things, like money and elections and material wealth and weaponry, is unmasked for the hollowness that they truly are. In the face of the divine, they are nothing more than stumbling blocks. How else might a cross-shaped life look like? The Apostle Paul, in today's reading from Romans, gives us some great ideas for a cross-shaped life. In fact, in the face of so much strife and unrest in the world, I find myself wanting to live in a Romans 12 kind of world today. Here are just a few of the highlights in today's reading. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. And I particularly like that one. Try to live peaceably with all. And finally, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the space of just 13 short verses, Paul provides, I think, enough detail for us to fully realize the contours of a cross-shaped life. Its radical, counterculture nature is fully exposed. Outdo one another, not in smarts or wit or material possessions, but outdo one another in honor. Be humble. Live in peace with everyone. Overcome evil with good. I think it was Michelle Obama who famously said, when they go low, we go high. Is that another way of honoring what Paul tells us? Do not repay evil with evil, but aspire to the greater good in all? Imagine how the tenor of our current times might change if, if we all tried to live in a Romans 12 kind of world, tried to mold ourselves into a cross-shaped life. It all sounds really enticing, but if you're like me, it's, it's hard to maintain it in the face of the demands of real life these days. A random Facebook post or a snippet of the evening news is enough to make me fall back into hopeless anger hopelessness, fear. And I want to lash out at my offenders to meet evil with evil, to make them share in my pain so that maybe, just maybe, I won't hurt so much. But buried in Paul's appeal to the Romans is a methodology for something like a cross-shaped life. Three simple statements. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. These simple actions that make a cross-shaped life not just possible, but inevitable, unavoidable. Rejoice in hope. Celebrate the small wins. Keep looking for the moments and places of joy and laughter and fully live into them. Share them with everyone, no matter how fleeting they are. Give yourself into laughter, into hope. Remember, we are a resurrection people. Be patient in suffering. Don't ignore it or anesthetize ourselves to it, but live into it, knowing it too will pass. Avoid the temptation to catastrophize the future or assume the darkness and division of the present will endure forever. Be patient. Finally, and most importantly, persevere in prayer. Keep regular communication with divine things. Urge them into existence with as much force as possible so they invade and overcome our penchant like Peter 
for focusing only on human things, not divine. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Paul's writing, especially in Romans, can be accused of being confusing, impenetrable, and even at odds with itself. But in Romans 12, he's elegant, eloquent, and comforting. He loves this community of Jews and Gentiles and wants nothing more for them to live in harmony with each other, to overcome evil with goodness, and to share God's life-giving spirit with the entire world. And Paul's guidance continues to speak to us today when we seem so divided and so alone, when we're all just tired of being stuck at home, when the next Zoom class or meeting hangs over us, inspiring dread instead of novelty. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Three simple reminders that, when put into regular practice, can form us into cross-shaped lives. As Matthew reminds us, for the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Remember, we are a resurrection people, and that alone is cause for hope. Amen.